I'm not making this up. These are real. Okay. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here. And the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign, too. I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? Do you expect me to talk? episode 223 of do you expect us to talk sorry once again for the delay we are back with a brand new series but thank you so much for waiting i'm becca and as always joined by my fellow co-hosts chris and dave how are you both good evening folks uh good evening how, how is everyone uh i don't know we've just been chatting for ages i was a bit blindsided <laughs> by that uh you've had the biggest change because you got married uh everything's much the same for me as when we last recorded to be quite honest yeah i mean it, I, I, I can't say much has changed really i mean i, I just Off get to congratulations. I, I just get to refer to uh, i just get to wear a ring now and um hmm. refer to my other half as uh my wife rather than like the biggest my partner yeah, I know. I was. It just made me laugh actually because I was watching the Euro song episode of Father Ted earlier, oh, and every yeah. time I hear partner, I hear Ted going, "Not my sexual partner." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's always been a thing because, like, you know, girlfriend just doesn't sound committed enough. Not only uh, that, you get to a point where you fiance, sound a bit old for it. Fiance, which is the correct term, just mm. sounds pretentious as fuck. and and partly just sounds a bit too ambiguous, just a bit like. Yeah. All right. Just like, yeah, just someone I live with, just kind of, yeah. yeah. But yeah. isn't it the same though? Does you know? Does she now go, oh, my husband, or you know? Yeah. For anyone listening, because yeah. our listeners are all different ages, if you can get hold of Father Ted in the second season of it, there's an episode called "A Song for Europe," uh, and they enter the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> a couple of priests, but the 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 organizer and the presenter are, are like a gay couple. And of course, he's a Catholic priest, so it's a really <laughs> awkward conversation. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So Chris, Chris got married on my lovely horse. My lovely horse. Yeah. Got no, married on your lovely horse. <laughs> that's how he's taken to it. I, I want to cover you in sugar lumps. Yes. Yeah, that's the only thing that's like a horse in that marriage. Um, <laughs> that would have been good, but sadly, Ireland didn't make it to the final of Eurovision this year. I don't know how Eurovision works. I mean, basically, uh, 
everyone I, I looked at my Facebook feed last night and the only people commenting with two exceptions on Eurovision were either women or gay men yes, there was one exception one, <laughs> one of our listeners is a music teacher and he was he was watching it but there's very very it, it's just it's not aimed at me Although my, it's, it's my, niche, isn't it? although my wife wanted to see some of the entries last night, so I ended up watching them on YouTube anyway. They were, I mean, the British entry was supposedly not, take politics out of it, the favourite. And it was just a very, very, very typical Eurovision song and outfit and everything. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the I first times. He had quite a lot of um, followers across social media and TikTok, and I wonder, obviously, because TikTok obviously is, is very popular, but kind of almost yeah. grew in popularity during lockdown. Mm. So I kind of wonder if that really helped to boost them otherwise i mean politics aside brexit aside i wonder if that really did have you know a big chance to do with it as well as it being a very decent song of course it did he could have come out they could have come out and farted into a microphone and they just did one (laughs) you know it was the first time i mean i only saw like literally the briefest of clips Mm. but um from what i could saw saw of him it's like oh that's very europe that's the first time we actually put something that it's Eurovision. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the time is we kind of come out like we overthink it. We keep come out so that try and go be something try and be something cool. It send out something very something Euro pop like, and a bit camp. Yeah. Yeah, and they like you know, and before it's like, you know, they'll they'll send out something like Igelbert Humperdinck or something dead prestigious. It's like it's not gonna work. You, you know, no. it's like and it or, or, or they'll do Gemini or whatever it is or something. Oh, they were terrible, bloody hell. You know, it, 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 I mean, they just, they, they just, I mean, well, probably, probably better off with backs like that. I always, I always thought you, you're better off just go, go, go into. with it, play into it, because the few acts I, I watched were incredibly camp, a little bit overblown, very, very much in the Euro pop sort of genre. Yeah, that's yeah. what Eurovision's all about. Exactly. Yeah, like, I mean, I was. I always thought like we should go into like Eurovision just not giving a fuck. I, anyone, anyone, any, <laughs> I, I tell you what, if you wanted to, if you wanted to f- sort of pick an act that's very Eurovision and it isn't Eurovision for the type of music that tends to do well in it, go and see like Army of Lovers or something like that. That's very, very Eurovision in style. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, if they came to me, Chris, and they said, you know, who should we have for Eurovision? I'd say I'm thinking. Clive Warren. <laughs> <laughs> what Rebecca De Mornay? <laughs> I'm seeing Clive Warren and Rebecca De Mornay. <laughs> oh, that'd be so funny. So, okay. what are we what are we reviewing this week, Rebecca? So, you asked us how. Well, I asked you how we were doing, but you didn't ask how I was doing. So, apparently, we all washed up on a fishing boat somewhere off the coast of Italy. There's no memory of who we are or what we do, but for some reason, we have all these identities and what's going on. We can speak these languages. Right. So that I, mean, you are talking about the Bourne movies. Right, okay. I, I thought you'd confuse reality with a film then, because that didn't actually <laughs> happen to me. And ironically, no, if it has, I've forgotten about it. But your name isn't actually Dave Bond. It's actually Jason Bourne. It's all these other identities. I don't know. But yes, tonight we are starting a new retrospective review series on the Jason Bourne movies. But we are eschewing the uh, 1988 Richard Chamberlain version because I can't get hold of a copy. I'm sure it is out there somewhere. Um, so I have, have not seen, seen it. it. I have seen it. But right. it must be available. But we're doing away well, with that. Run, us, come back to run, run us through this uh, tonight and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the series as a whole before we go into it. We'll get there, we'll get there. Yep, so we are reviewing The Bourne Identity, starring Mia Demon, Franca Patenti, Chris Cooper, Julia Stiles, Brian Cox, and also Walton Goggins in a very early role. 
music by John Powell and original, well, not original music from More Like a Fold and Moby at the end, which I totally forgotten about. Um, obviously written on the 1980 spy thriller by um, Robert Ludlum, and obviously the scripts by Tony Gilroy and William Blake Heron, directed by Ludlum and released in 2002. Seeing Moby life was quite an interesting experience because it's just basically watching someone put on a tape of their music and then run around the stage looking for something to do. He might as well have done some cleaning while he was up there. Lots of sweaty acts <laughs> on there all day. He could have just mopped He's the pressing floor. buttons and putting switches and yeah, it's just and typing. He must have been singing a bit though. Well, he did. In fact, he, he closed the show. It was Glastonbury 2003. He closed it because uh, the following, no, the previous night, Radiohead had headlined. And Radio, yeah, Radiohead the refused then, I don't know about now, but they never played Creep live, so he played it. He closed the show with Creep. Which is quite ironic like, if you read that, up on Moby in the last few years. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But I'm watching it on TV, so very yeah. cool that you got to I mean, see live. It, it, it's things like that I read that I, really, I, that I really dislike Radiohead because of things like that. It's like, look, just just make people happy. We're just artists. do it. Just Stop do it. being such a fucking, you know, I mean, let, let, let's face it. You know, your music isn't as good. Like, it, if they came out and played nothing but OK Computer and The Benz and then Creep, like, like all the fans would be walking best gig ever, you know. But yeah, they would love it. They come out all the with the Kid A bollocks, all this yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> like and all the, and all the fans yeah. sort of like pretend that they're having a good time. It's like really come Kid on. Kid A am, and Amnesiac you, was like the tipping yourself. point though, because I like both of those albums, but I don't really like much of what follows it. Um, but yeah, yeah. So um, they don't play creep. I, I mean, I'm sure Kylie still does. I should be so lucky, surely. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, they'll 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 it. It. Well, it's it's like, yeah, they don't do like shiny happy people that's, live that's anymore. The, it's like, oh. But that, that's the problem with it. They just they just feel like they're above it all. They're, they're above that all. We're above that all, like past pop rock ourselves. Keep them happy. It's all good. You know, we want to do these kind of like really kind of like really really interesting sort of like dark thing that which really. No one really enjoys. Everyone just sort of likes to pretend they enjoy, so they sound more intellectual than they really are. It's, it, that's basically what it is. I, I, I like mean, when, I think, I'm, I think not, I'm not. I'm not that impressed in by 2009. It. Like they just, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, do the hits, do the hits," and they just did their new album, which had only yeah, recently come out. Every time I think of the Gorillas live, which I've not seen, I'm reminded of the. Well, it was Sim- in Albon. And I, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking of the um, Simpsons episode with Poochie in it, where he asks oh, if yeah. it was animated live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's someone drawing at fucking ridiculous speed. <laughs> no, that's it, definitely. Well, obviously, it's Damon Albarn, and you know, it was kind of. I think from what I, I didn't, I was there, but I didn't go to see them. I went to go see somebody else instead, yeah. and I was, I wasn't really into them, unfortunately. So I was like, oh, I'll just skip it. And I found out they were doing the new album, which I hadn't heard, unfortunately. So I didn't give them the time of day, which I feel a bit bad about. Mm. But it's just obviously they did, you know, sort of like videos and and that sort of thing. Um. But, you know, it's just one of those things, obviously, Damon Albarn rocked up at, um, at Glastonbury and, you know, and did the set. But it's just like, well, you know, they were expecting to hear, like, you know, all the hits from the previous albums. They just did, like, the new album, which had only recently come out and yeah. wasn't well received. I'm not quite sure. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's, as you say, it's just because I think they think that they are kind of a little bit above it all. And it's like, no, just play well, the hits. Talking you know? of uh, talking of quality vocalists, I'm seeing Alan Partridge on Wednesday. Are you now? Yeah. Tell us all about it. Well, Rolling the, the ball. Well, Rolling it's just, the ball. He's, um, <laughs> Is that well, his new tour? Yeah, but like we were not in the dates until about a month ago, and then they just went on sale, so it was like a last-minute thing that just sold nice. out really fast. Oh, you'll have a great time. Hopefully um, he won't be, won't be cancelled. 
Um, I th- I think that will be the theme of the show, to be honest yeah. with you, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've seen his live bits before. If you look up the one, if you ever look up Alan Partridge live, there's one where he accidentally, he's got his computer linked up to the screen, and he actually, oh, no. he, he clicks on... Dodgy search history. Yeah, no, he clicks on some spam, do you want a bigger penis? <laughs> he clicks <laughs> he clicks yes, then realises it's on the screen behind oh, him. Oh, dear. And then he kind of tries to put it right by emailing the company. Oh, and no, stuff. where's the bin when you need a... Yeah, so I'm seeing that on Wednesday, so I may report back on that next week. Um, with regard yes, to this series, um, The Bourne Identity obviously uh, started life as a book, a Robert Ludlum book published in, I think it was, I can't remember if it was late 70s, early 80s, I think. May 1980? Have been, might have been 1980, actually. And uh, just around the time uh, this film came out, they put on television the Richard Chamberlain version with Jacqueline Smith from Charlie's Angels. Mm. which was done in 1988 and I, I, I can't remember when the guy was born but I think he must have been in his well, well probably late 40s early 50s by then I would have thought Richard Chamberlain he's meant to be like an, certainly an older man well when you look up the book I mean I haven't read the book but I know there's there's elements of the film that are um, still it was a TV film that's worth mentioning it's very sort of you know, it it is to the spy genre what King Sol- Solomon's minds was to you know Indiana Jones um it's based on um, Carlos the Jackal, isn't it? So it the, is. The, so that, that series, the major that, um, difference. The miniseries is the, much more, yeah. um, yeah. like, for example, this with the Spawn Identity f- um, film. Mm. Um, like, the, the book and the film, like, you know, they're, they're just literally just paying lip service to the name. Um, but whereas, like, that and the that. Chamberlain miniseries, they're uh, much more yeah, closer to each other. It was Alan Chamberlain. It's like I read the book, but it was Did you say ago. Alan Chamberlain? He used to play in Golf of no, Colchester, didn't he? sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who that The film bombed because they, they cast a goalkeeper from lower league football. Oh, um, no, Rich Chamberlain. So, yeah, no. I did, um, I did one see him on, um, on Broadway in The Sound of Music, I believe. Oh, right, okay. Randomly. Yeah, still probably best known for uh, either Dr. Kildare or The Thornbirds, probably. Mm. Uh, the Thornbirds with Rachel Ward, who's uh, wife of Brian Brown. Um, Fun yeah. fact, but... Yeah, but anyway, um, I, so I did see the film. I don't remember very much about it, but what I do remember is uh, I then went to read up on the book because I thought, hang on a minute, 30-year-old Matt Damon, barely looking 30, you know, probably 50-year-old Richard Chamberlain, which is the more accurate. about 12, Well, there are similarities. We'll go through, obviously, the plot of this film, but the, the, the similarities and differences. The similarities are he did he, he was shot and sort of found in the water. He is an amnesiac. He does meet a Marie, although the surname's different. It's something like Marie St. Jake's in the book or something like that. Uh, different nationality, different background, fin- financial analyst or something like that. I was, I, I did have a look at earlier, but I can't remember all yeah, the details. Yeah, it's kind of like broad, you know, uh, hits the bases. And some of da- uh, Jason's background is that he, he had like a wife and children who died or killed. I can't remember in what circumstances. So I think they're pitching him slightly older. This is meant to still be a relatively young agent, even though sort of Matt Damon's in his early 30s by this point. Uh, and yeah, the other big difference was the, the the target in this one is what's he called Mombasi or something like that, uh, and it's a guy called Carlos in the film, which is clearly the original. Carlos the Jackal. Clearly meant to be Carlos the Jackal. In fact, the preface to the book are a couple of articles about Carlos the Jackal. Yeah, it's based on more kind of like Will Will. I can't think of Carlos the Jackal without seeing the cover of the Black Crape the Black Crape album. Oh. It's great when you're straight. Yeah. That was uh, had Carlos the Jackal on the front cover. Anyway, um, so in terms of background for me with this film, uh, not a lot really. We got we'll put it into context. Um, 
Actually, first, let's just uh, talk about what we're covering. So we're not covering the um, 1988 Bourne identity. We are going to cover this and then the two 2000s uh, Paul Greengrass films, Supremacy and Ultimatum. Then we'll do the Jeremy Renner spin-off, uh, The Bourne Legacy. And then we'll come back. Well, then we'll do the the final one, which was 2016's Jason Bourne. Um, that's it for this series. My, I, I think with what I would just say about background with Bourne identity is it, it gets sort of retconned now that this killed Pierce Brosnan's Bond. And I think there's some truth in it. I think the one thing I would say though is Die Another Day took 432 million at the worldwide box office. This took about 214. It was a bit of a sleeper hit, to be honest with you. Matt Damon was well known from Goodwill Hunting, from the talented Mr. Ripley, from the first of the Oceans films and so on. But it was one of those films. I remember being at work one day and a, a colleague of mine took a half day and he just he just wanted the afternoon off. It was quiet. And he came in the next day and said he'd been to see The Bourne Identity. So I was really good, actually. And I'd seen billboards for it and adverts for it. But it wasn't a massively hyped film. Certainly there are elements in in the the second film that do remind me a little bit more of um bond and actually definitely influenced the craig era a bit uh i know that pierce brosnan because this film came out in this country i can't speak for america it came out in august 2002 in this country and I, i've yeah, not looked late, late august wasn't it yeah yeah it was, it, it was delayed from like spring i i, I don't remember that event delayed I, it. I remember it coming out um and it was August, but I, I, without looking, it could have been like, well, I will have a look now, actually. When did it come out in the United States? In the United States, it came out in June. So we got it a couple of months later, which is less common these days. But um, so obviously Brosnan had, if you think about it, Bond films traditionally wrap in around June or July to come out in October, November, depending on territory. And that's been the way f- until the latest film for a well back since Goldeneye really so Brosnan will have finished shooting his Bond film in about July complete with invisible car and campy villains and stuff and he he said himself he saw that he saw the Bourne identity and he was like oh Christ the game's up I think there's something in that but bear in mind I know the day still did very well it didn't kill it on its own I think it was death by a thousand cuts I think Austin Powers did it some damage from another angle. I think uh, 9/11 changed the. Um... I just changed the landscape for everything. Well, yeah, regardless. look look at look at the Batman series we got afterwards. That was very 9/11 influenced. Well, exactly. And, and, and superhero films went gritty for a while and stuff. Yeah, there's a whole gritty. But Bourne, Bourne it's, had it's an almost, effect. It's, it's, it's the Bond reboot before Bond, so. Oh, and the funny thing is, I don't want to talk too much about um, next week's films, but I did go straight on to watch some of Supremacy, and. Jason's getting flashbacks to some kills and he, he comes back to his car after the kill and Conklin the the guy from Chris Cooper's character from tonight's film turns in to him and says that's training over and I thought well what's that if not like a double O getting his it's pretty spe- much yeah how, yeah, how it yeah. came to be how he yeah. came to be born so I think it did have an effect I think less so this film but the series had an effect on shaky cam and again, having watched the Bourne Supremacy tonight, or most of it, I think I'm about half. I think probably the shaky cam is probably down to Greengrass, definitely. I yeah, mean, it's not in this film. It's, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot slower. Here it's as not well. as the bad though. It's perhaps a bit more. It's nowhere um, near. A bit lighter, but yeah, I think shaky cam is definitely. That's, that's not a bad thing. Um, again, we see that probably in a while, but I think that's probably down to Greengrass for sure. 
none of the none of the films in this series were sort of outgrossing Bourne. It's a bit like when they say, you know, Mission Impossible is handing Bond his lunch, and I'm like, well, it is in a quality perspective, but like. <laughs> No Time to Die probably slightly underperformed and it still outperforms Mission Impossible. So um, let's not get carried away. Bond, Bond could have carried on doing campy films till the end of time. You've got to remember, they just got the rights back to Casino Royale. They wanted to make that film. Brosnan was just getting a little bit over the hill. And I think it was more of an artistic decision and that will have been influenced by things like Bourne and things like Austin Powers lampooning it from the other side. But from a pure pers- pure uh, success perspective, they could have carried on making... They could have made another two or three die in other days, no problem at all. They could have made the Roger Moore movies again. But, but yeah, I mean, Roger, I, I, Roger Moore was getting a bit sure old by then. When we came to review Casino Royale, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we did. You know, we discussed like, the Bourne influence and Mission so, Impossible influence, yeah. for example. They get more popular like next week and the, and the week after. With the Greengrass films, they start doing more money. This is a solid hit. It's a $60 million film, and it does 214 But bear in mind, that's about half of the Bond film this year from both ends, from budget and yeah. gross. Also, I kind of get the impression, certainly over here anyway, kind of it picked up more um, upon home release, sort of when it came to sort of like DVD and that as well, um, sort of became more, you know, more popular. And then obviously when the Greengrass film came out, it just... Yeah. Right in the DVD boom as well. So... Um, yes. <laughs> I, I often like... In the 2000s. I've likened certain films in the past, like Avatar in 3D, I always say it's like Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms, the um, Dire Straits album, is not actually, like or hate Dire Straits, it's not actually one of their stronger albums, but it caught the CD boom. So people bought it they'd buy a cd player and they'd go i need a cd to go with it or a couple of cds and they're still quite expensive and they bought brothers in arms because they thought oh, the fidelity of the sound will be amazing and i think born the born identity is one of that first wave of films that took the massive uptake in dvd sales yep. um but yeah um i truthfully i didn't see it at the cinema and i can't remember when i first saw it what about you guys yeah i did see it at the cinema um I was obviously trying to, you know, waiting for the new Bond to come out very exciting in a few years down the line. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, this is another one of those films where I'm like, oh yeah, I saw it this cinema. I think I've seen all of them apart from like the last two. Um, and then I haven't seen it since till I watched it with Simon last night. Um, I was, I'm going to try and get see if he'll come on the show. I'm not quite sure if he will because he's quite busy. Um, but obviously he's a filmmaker and editor, writer and that sort of thing. Um, he's very into it as well. Um, so I kind of watched it and tried to glean some little facts and tidbits and things like that from the things that he's read, obviously, having studied film and made films over the years. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, for me, it does kind of feed, a lot of it does feed into, like, Casino Royale, for example, as well. Um, I lo- like a lot of the, the tropes and that, that you see, especially in films these days, certainly over the last 10 years, um, you don't see in this film, uh, which is really refreshing. Um, like, character from Marie, for example, she just kind of uses, his, you know, her own street smarts. Um, she's a strong and inverted commas character, um, but she she doesn't know how to fire a gun or how to fight or that kind of thing. No. But she knows how to handle herself. Um, well, not only that, if this had been an 80s film, her tits would have come out. Well, this is Do it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they would have sexed it up a bit. There'd have been a sex scene in it. I mean, just a I little mean, bit. There's a bit of romance between them, isn't mm-hmm. there? Kind of a yes. few sort of kissy moments. Yeah. I mean, it's basically. Uh, I mean, you say it's like uh, content of the bomb, but it's it's. I, I can't help but thinking because like there's definitely bomb moments as well, yeah. like the um, <laughs> like there's the chase scene in the mini, and I just kept thinking of like few eyes only, and I was just expecting, yeah, that's like, a great scene. I, I yeah, just expecting Matt Damon to do a bunch of 
I just, I just kept expecting um, Matt Damon to do like a Fodger Moore nod. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking, the trouble is, I keep thinking of a view to a kill because at one point it goes down the stairs and it makes yeah. me think of when the car. <laughs> There's a Frenchman going. Macca, Macca! Macca! Yeah. Macca. Um, I mean, yeah, but, like, I mean, I mean it's With not that. I mean, it's not that far off. It's just, it's just basically that stuff, but a bit more reserved. Really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, as a general comment, I would say that the, the shaky cam comes in next week. But even then, when you compare it to like a Quantum of Solace, it's nowhere near as dramatic. No, From really memory with the series, there are scenes in hot environments, and I forget mm. which ones, in the Bourne Ultimatum, where he's running across rooftops and slamming into windows and stuff. And that's very Quantum of Solace. The link... It does kind of come back around, doesn't it? Obviously, like Bourne feeds into Bond and then out the other end. But th- this one is much more... Because I... I Obviously, this one is, is largely set in Europe, and that that's kind of Bond's most trod sort of territory. And it's a serious sort of sort of spy thriller in the same year as an absolute mm. cartoon of a Bond film came out. So I can understand why um, why it's seen as as influential, and it is it is influential. I'm 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 just saying what I'm saying is it's not like Die Another Day came out flopped, and then they looked around and went shit. What should we mimic? Die of the Day did far, far better than this film. Yeah. But, it, but it's just the fact that they could see the environment into which they were releasing the films had got a lot more serious. Yeah, but the, that being said, though, like, it's one of the things that Eon, like, I, I think should have more confidence in. Like, every Bond film, even though it's been disappointing, has always made money. Yeah. So there's, like, they, they should always, like, sort of... They shouldn't really try to mimic other uh, franchises. Cause it, it's just... It, it, it puts the service on the front on their franchise quite frankly i think they should have more confidence in their own like i mean yeah i mean i, I think there's a there's an element of reading the room like okay well maybe we should try something different or maybe steer a bit more like less silly or something like that but um but yeah. literally to get the second unit t- team from the second and third film in this series to go and make Quantum of Solace, yeah. you know what I mean? Though, though didn't they do other, other movies, though? Because I think, I think in, in relatively speaking, it's only really, like, the uh, green grass style that they uh, they look at. But in terms of, like, the second unit, like, in terms of, like, how the, the action is, it, it's fine. It's like they, They've worked on more standard movies that, that are shot, like about shaky cam and whatnot it's just um it's just that that kind of that kind of art that kind of art art like sort of independent indie maker aesthetic but with a budget do you know what i mean that i mean that was kind of big in like sort of like the mid 2000s really wasn't it that kind of uh, yeah that kind of yeah that kind of more art house feel but you know but with the gloss yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we're fighting. It's worth saying, obviously, yeah, this this film though is Doug Lyman. Um, Doug Lyman, it, 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 nothing in his. It's very strange. I mean, he did Go, which was like a an indie film with 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 action in it. But um, I mean, his first big success was Swingers, which was a John mm-hmm. Favreau Vince Vaughn film, which is worth seeing actually. It's it's, it's got one of the funniest like uh, voicemails. Uh, sections you'll ever see in a film he starts leave, leaves a message for a girl he likes and then doesn't say it quite right so he rings again and he keeps leaving messages and it's really funny um, 
but yeah so th- this was strange I mean since this obviously he's done Mr. and Mrs. Smith which uh, also starred Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt now Angelina mm. Jolie was also in Salt which was very very reminiscent of this he did Jumper which was a Hayden Christensen uh, action film which had a great premise wasn't necessarily a terrible title it wasn't necessarily well, it should be Sweater in America it should it should um, Pull over, yes, and a rack. Um, <laughs> it had actually a really great premise, and it had uh, the the sort of music for it. I could imagine had the film done better and they'd been a series, the music you would have you would have heard it like over a teaser and gone, oh, it's a jumper film. It it had a lot to be better than it was, but it it just was screwed in the um, sort of execution. Um, he did Edge of Tomorrow, which was. Um, also known as what lived i repeat that was tom cruise and um emily yeah. blunt but uh, um it's a sci-fi take on sort of groundhog day i suppose it's an it's an action groundhog day but not a comedy it's it's got funny here of tom cruise movies as well yeah american made i didn't like um that was um that's one of those where i've got to spell it when, when i went to see it that year i, I they go oh what have you seen recently your know, friends or something i go american made m-a-d-e because otherwise it sounds like some shitty rom-com, doesn't it? If you think it's M-A-I-D. <laughs> um, some, for some reason, I got it in, in my head he did the other Tom Cruise film. What was it called? Oblivion. That wasn't him, though, was it? No, no. that's No, um, that was a good film, though. I like Oblivion. The, that's the guy who did, um, he's doing the new Top Gun. Oh, the guy who did... Um, Tron Legacy, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I've, I'm blanking on his name, but I know exactly who you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a, my before you said the name of the film, I thought you were going to say Edward Zwick, but that I'm thinking of um, no. this, that was the second um, Jack mm. Reacher film, and he mm. also did um, uh, Last Samurai years ago. So a lot of them do work with the same people. That's a good film. So I think what I'm saying is 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 um, his work lent, lent more towards action after he did this than it did before. Uh, although apparently there's talk of him remaking Roadhouse. Oh wow, <laughs> Roadhouse. Um, so anyway, um, so I don't know how much. I, what I can't grasp now is I don't know how big a deal sixty million as a budget is in two thousand and two. I know it's not massive because Bond films are coming in at over twice that. Spider Man two, a couple of years later, was over two hundred million. But I don't know if if sixty million is seen as cheap, mid range. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I'm struggling to remember. Matt Damon was a name. And he'd been in films and he'd won things, mm. but I, I don't know if he was seen as a leading man as such. I think, stru- as, he, as you mentioned earlier, he was kind of known for, um, yeah, for like Tantamus Ripley, for kind of like, um, what was the other one as well? That way well, he plays good with more w- intellectual or more dramatic roles rather than kind of, you know, action yeah. kind of leading man. I think this is probably one of his first, or certainly one of his earlier, more action heavy type roles. Um, but I mean, even. Like an action movie star. I mean, he was in Ocean's Eleven, but what was he? Ocean's Eleven, yeah. That's fourth fourth, one, fourth yeah. or fifth build? I mean, you'd have had Clooney, Pitt, Julia Roberts. Yeah, he's, he's certainly up there for sure. I mean, he's got possibly Andy Garcia. He's probably going to be behind all of those as like where yeah. he is in the pecking order. I think it's that because it didn't even oh I can't remember what it's called. Um, Robin Williams, it'll come to me. Um, you know, kind of he sort of you know starts winning awards. So that kind of I'd say it's kind of like Good a rising hunting, star. Yeah. Kind of, Goodwill Hunting, that was it. Um, yeah. It's certainly more kind of like. Um, intellectual or psychological type roles um, as opposed to kind of like really action heavy 
uh, more character-driven roles as well. But I think this is probably the, the start of it, really, in that kind of aspect of his, of his career. Um, I urge anyone listening who's not seen Goodwill Hunting to remedy that as soon as possible. Oh god, yeah, check it out. Yeah. Did you get the ready? Um, well, yes, yeah, it's not that erotic. Um, <laughs> you might cry though. Yeah, uh, that's why. When, when I say dishes that are ready, I always mean oh, it's sad. Oh, oh. I wonder why yeah. I got funny looks having me trousers around me ankles during this list. Sexy times. <laughs> Wasn't those two shower scenes? Yeah, um, the shower scene. Yeah. Shower I just scene. I just realised oh. I've stolen that from Ricky Gervais. That's, that's like the alternate film version. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't realise yeah. I had till I said it. I'm just trying to think like whether this was this the start of like. Or this kind of the like continuation of the kind of like the um, the, the 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 serious actor taking on the action role, you know, because like uh, in the eighties you had like the definitive action stars, and I think the nineties started to like transgress out of that. You see, you had like Bruce Willis, who wasn't like a typical, you know, action. Yes, uh, but he was a TV comedy actor. Yeah. So it's let's not confuse it with like. Robert De Niro, De Niro doing a shoot 'em up or something at that yeah. stage. Um, but, but but then like but you know obviously with things like Die Hard it was less about like. Um, Do you know it, where I think it started? Well, I, I think it started with The Rock, The Rock, Con oh, okay, yeah, and yeah, Face Off. Yes, because it was Nick Cage. It was yeah. that it was that triple thing because yeah. he he was. I, I, know, I, I, that, did he line. win the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas? He was certainly nominated. So whatever his eccentricities as an actor, he was doing stuff where it was clear he was taking the material seriously. He then wins an Oscar, and his next three films are The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. But it's it's really odd because you look at actually uh, I watched Con Air fairly recently, and it's and it's odd because that cast is filled with non-action um, uh, actors. It's the more yeah, yeah, serious, like or you know, indie independent, like kind of or 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 comedians, you know, the the I mean, maybe like Big Rames and maybe a few other like Danny Trejo here and there, but generally speaking, it's filled with like you know John Malkovich, John Cusack, you know, all, all, but all that, that started the. For me, and there may be people who've pointed or point out something I missed. They they might go, well, you you don't remember that person. They won an Oscar and immediately did that. Yeah. But, but off the top uh, of my right. head, yeah, I think that's the era where you don't you don't um you don't use your sort of awards to catapult you necessarily to greater artistic heights. You use it to catapult yourself to greater commercial heights. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's about like sort of identifying trends. Trends don't always like sort of happen like. That was definitive. Well, no, because let's say let's say that was true. Let's say I, it's very unlikely I'm a hundred percent right with that. But let's say I was. Let's say that is a hundred percent what happened. Well, firstly, the films have to come out. Then they've got to get word of mouth. Then people need to notice the trend. So people need to notice. Hang on a minute. Nick Cage's last three films have been this. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um. Certainly, sort of lit- literary adaptations have, have never never left us. I mean, various Tom Clancy things have been made over the years. I, I'm sure. Um, what I would be more interested in is what sort of spy novels, if any, were made around this time. The one that does spring to mind uh, was the remake of Day of the Jackal in 1997. So again, around the same sort of time. Yeah, sort of like 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Have a quick Google. See what it says. 
Yeah, um, um, so the, the Jackal came out around that time, which is obviously a remake of Day of the Jackal, but again, it's these this kind of... It, it all comes from a similar genre. We had um, um, the other Brad Pitt, Robert Redford, film Spy Game as well, 2001, 2002. I know that wasn't based on like a novel as such, perhaps, but it was of that kind of genre as well. It was the same year. No, actually, it may have been the previous year, Spy Game. It may have been 2000, yeah. 2001. Just because he was also... Um, I think he was offered the role... Yeah, um, Brad, he, Brad, he's attached to the role of Bourne, but they just, no, I'm going to do Spy Game instead. How did that do? Well, yeah, I guess he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah. Which uh, is kind of odd because, you know, it, it, like Brad Pitt is like, he, he, he's someone who is actually quite good at action, but he hasn't actually done action roles or not many of them. You no, know, he's got he Bullet Train and Mr. Mr. Smith and that, but, you know, he, he, he could do like an you action. Could just, I mean, you could just about count World War Z in that as well. I Spy yeah. Adaptation? 2002. Well, that was Owen Wilson and uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. The original had Bill Cosby in it. Not sure whatever happened to him. We yeah we don't. Anyway, moving on from that, I'm trying to think of other other films in that year. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, change the subject. So oh, <laughs> any, any, anyone heard Tim films. Westwood on the radio? Another day. Johnny English. <laughs> uh, and Charing Candidate. I did about that. I wrote about that um, in terms of remakes for my um, my uni dissertation. Yeah, that was that was. Um, uh, Denzel Washington and come on help me out he was with um, Naomi Watts for a while what's his name Manchurian Candidate man oh sh- yes um, oh yeah uh, yeah he was in uh, he, does, he, well. does, he does the HBO boxing things oh yeah that guy he was Wolverine's brother <laughs> what's his name Leif Schreiber Leif Schreiber I was absolutely also the remake of Taylor of Panama with Pierce Brosnan the Taylor of Panama is absolutely recording fantastic recording on the 16th of May happy birthday Bros yeah, absolutely. 60, right. 60, 69 today, if he's lucky. Yes, look at you. And uh, and coincidentally, sixty nine years of age as well. Um, so yes, the Taylor of Panama is my probably my favourite uh, Brosnan film. I think it's really really good. It, if I remember correctly, I say because I say it's my favourite. I'm seen it in twenty years. Uh, but it was the one that had the most impression. You watch it and go to shit. Well, yeah, exactly. So I'm saying my favourite. It's, it's, I can't call it a favourite. I, I guess the better way to put it is it's the Brosnan film I most admired the film and his performance in. Um, he, it was him, Jamie Lee, was it Jamie Lee Curtis and I think Jeffrey Rush. Mm-hmm. And um, I've probably got all that wrong as well. But he, he plays like a sort of bloodshot bad version of Bond, really, and he's really, really good in it. Um much much better than he ever was in Bond, as Bond in my opinion um, but it was right during his run as Bond and I, I remember watching it and thinking Christ if you brought some of that to the role it would be so good but obviously that's not what the corporate machine wanted at the time no um, so back to this film um, initial thoughts just from me I'll, I'll be very quick because we'll talk about it during the actual sort of uh, detail um, the film actually uh, I really, really enjoyed. I think there are things in the sequel that I need really need to think about sometimes, and I go, "Is that what I think it is? What are they trying to do there? Surely that's not going to achieve what I thought it was. Going to, they thought think it's going to achieve, and so on." This film feels a lot more logical to me. I think every time I watch it, I notice something new. Every time I notice what they're trying to do is clearer to me, um, because they seem, you know, on first viewing, it just seemed that they were chasing a guy to like who just wanted to be left alone and was no harm to them at all. But obviously that's become clearer over the years. Uh, Damon was a revelation. You know, it was, it's not exactly the same, but it was Daniel Craig before Daniel Craig. 
um, where you were just like, wow, he's so committed to this and he's clearly doing so much of the action himself. Not to be confused with stunts. We're not talking about Tom Cruise here. We're talking about someone who you didn't associate with this stuff but able to do it so well. Um, the action felt crunching. And again, there's more shaky for Cam in the sequels, even though it's not as bad, but the action's better defined here. I honestly think... I certainly go into this series with, with the perception that this is my favourite, but we shall see as we go through the rest. Certainly I've been watching Supremacy tonight and having a really good time with it, so we'll, we'll see on that. Um, it came out of nowhere, and some, sometimes they're the best sort of films. I'm sure we've had all, all, all had experiences where we popped in to see a film, and maybe we knew something about it. We're not talking about a complete unknown or a cine world, well, I've got the ticket anyway. Something you wanted to see, but it did, didn't necessarily have an enormous amount of hype. And you went in and you came out and it was like, wow, that was really, really good. And I, obviously I didn't see this in the cinema. So by the time I got to it, I, I don't think it had long come out. I say I didn't see it in the cinema. Maybe I saw it later in the run. I can't remember. But I just remember having a really, really great time with it. And it did have an effect on action films for years afterwards. Um, because it's not it's not as desaturated as the three or four years before that sort of started with the sort of Saving Private Ryan's, and it's not quite the shaky cam that follows. In some respects, it's probably the least dated. Um, but that's all I'm going to say now. Yeah, mm. a, a, a very special film and one that holds up. Becca? Yeah, definitely. I will say, I'll, yeah, I saw this at the cinema. Um, from what I can remember, really enjoying it, and then. Haven't seen it again until this evening. Um, yeah, no, I think um, having sort of revisited, you know, some some of the ones kind of in the in the middle. Um, even though this one probably isn't as, as close to the film, as close to the, the original book from from what I remember having reread it recently, um, and sadly have not seen the Chamberlain version, um, which I think follows it more closely from what I've done reading around it. Um, I, th- I think, as I say, we mentioned this back in our, for our Casino Royale review. Kind of, it does cast a long shadow, definitely. Um, but no, I was just amazed by like how. So, so, you know, if, if they made this film today, like a, a lot of the tropes and that kind of you'd find in modern films would, would kind of be shoehorned in there, definitely. Um, not a big fan of Greengrass a shaky, a shaky cam as it came to be known, but that was kind of his style more media, that, um, and that's probably more notable. Is it 1993 that when the 9/11 films that he made? United um, 93, yeah. Yeah, that's one about yeah about the flight, um, and that was kind of more, you know, sort of a lot of critics did revile against the shaky, shaky cam, but that, that, is, that is kind of what has been dubbed. Um, against his kind of um, more immediate um, immersive technique for sure um, but here the camera work is a lot more fluid you kind of you get more of a sense of um, and also the, the series for me is, is more known for its use of um, like real world kind of stunts um, Damon did like a lot of stunts himself um, and trained very hard and learned um, I can't remember what it's sort of uh, I think it's Filipino um, martial arts I can't remember what it's called unfortunately um, it's not Krav Maga something else <laughs> which I've forgotten um which I think obviously doesn't it doesn't come from the Philippines, um, but a certain style of martial art definitely, um, and you know rather than just kind of the CG is very much kind of you know in terms of the um, like Mission Impossible um, series how that's coming in terms of Tom Cruise doing a lot of his own stunts and trying to do everything as, as real as possible. Um, here, um, Matt Damon does the same. So I'm trying not to say Matt Damon, uh, but no, Matt Damon does um, you know a lot of the kind of the stunts himself. Um, and obviously being set in 2002 it's kind of a lot of technology and as, as dated as well like he uses like a little a little flip phone um and at one point like he you know gets into the mini and like puts the seat back on and consults a map you know obviously there there is there is sort of mobiles and 
um, and sat nav and that coming out at, at the time as well. But I just think it's it's very a lot of it is very analog, um, which is interesting considering it's kind of very you know early two thousands. Um, it's that kind of spy movie which kind of goes back to the old fashioned like sort of spycraft rather than having to rely on on technology and gadgets, um, which I think is quite an interesting touch as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I watch it again, watching it again um, for for this podcast, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, it's surprising how much of it I sort of forgotten and how much I remembered as well. Um, and as watching sort of when the early early sort of like watching movies, for example, um, Clive Owen who pops up, Clive not or, or very almost a cameo, but sort of makes a big impression. Um, and he, I think he appears later on down the line, um, and sort of callbacks, flashbacks, things like that. He um, should have been Bond. He should have been Bond, but he wasn't. <laughs> but he, 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 he pops up in a crop, uh, crops up in a tux in Coupier, so but I guess that's the kind of one that we would we would have got. That's what it is. If they're the right age, the right nationality, or can at least do a British accent, and they've ever worn a tux. Are they just overlooked him completely? Just shocking, positively <sighs> shocking. Oh well. I don't get it. I mean, he, he definitely had some talent. I like Children of Men, and for example, he was in that yeah, that was film, a good film. Closer. Very good film. He was really funny in Closer, so I I'm not equating what I'm about to say with no personality he's got plenty of personality and he can act but there's something about his voice that's very flat i find i find his voice a bit dull and i just feel like it was one of those things at the moment he wore a tux in croupier he was linked with people the thought oh it's bond <laughs> it's like in internally when, when he popped up in the agatha christie series in the tuxedo they thought oh you should be bond and it's like well you know i think the trouble is daniel craig for me was a much more interesting choice but if you had he was a bit left field, wasn't he? If, you, to be Bond. if you don't like Daniel Craig as James Bond, you've just had to sit through 15 or 16 years of it. I know there weren't that many films, but you haven't had a change of Bond. You haven't had something more to your taste. And if you're looking back on it and going, Christ, I was in my teens or 20s when he got the role and all those years, then I could understand you might look back and say, who else could we have had that I might have preferred? So funnily enough, I saw a lot of Clive Warren talk... Warren? <laughs> I saw a lot of Clive Owen talk before the role was cast. And funnily enough, probably not again until very, very recent years. Now we're on the cusp of a recast. People are talking about him like he was the one that got away. We'll never know. I, I don't dislike I, him I, at the all. The thing is, though, but he, I don't, was I, in, he, he was never in the running. He wasn't. He it, wasn't. It was, he was in fan casting minds because he was a certain age and he, you know, he could theoretically have the, played the, Bond. The, the reality was he was never in the running. But yeah. Barbara had his, Barbara Broccoli had his sight had her sights on Daniel Craig. And they saw some others for due diligence, and none of them were Clive Owen. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, the, 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 and the closest we'd have got would have been a very young uh, Henry Cavill. I mean, it was down to them. So yeah. it was so. Yeah. That that's your that's the that's the real alternative. Or what if it was Henry Cavill? Like and um, Henry and Cavill. we know the other ones we talked about them. No one would have wanted Sam Worthington because he is bland as an actor. Uh, there was the guy who was in the Hawaii Five O remake that I never actually watched, and the other one was that um, Eastern European actor from ER, who's who couldn't who just couldn't drop his accent enough. So you really were only down to a couple of even feasible alternatives. Mm. And and the rest of it is just fan cast chatter. It's a bit like if it, it's it's like, it's like I, bet, I reckon it's today they'll still like say oh Tom Hardy, Ed, Idris Elba in like None of those uh, are in consideration. I can guarantee yeah. you that. Yeah. Well, I mean let's say for example let let let's say for example Tom Hiddleston or Aidan Turner, right? We may find out that they get it, get down to a final five, and none, neither of those are in it. 
And in 15 years' time, people are going, we could have had Aiden Turner. And it's like, well, no, because if they weren't on Eon's radar, it was never going to happen just because you thought they were a decent mm. fit. Tom Hiddleston, unfortunately, and it's the way of the world, by the time next film comes out, he'll be mid-40s. So even if you thought he were perfect for he was perfect for like and you know a Fleming esque public school sort of version of Bond a bit more like literary version which I could see, um, no he's going to be too old. Tom Hardy will be in his late forties by the time it comes the, around. The the one person who I think might who, who, well if I if I was a producer of the Bond franchise I I would might be interested in screen testing and he's probably at a decent age at the moment yeah. to the point where he'd be just about right taking over um i forget his name but he's the he's the young chap in uh the the king's man taron edgerton no no not him he's um, too short no not him uh, the, in, in the new one which the, but, who did he play in the king's we, man he, he plays the son uh ralph Ryan's son ralph fiennes yeah son. <laughs> ralph fiennes son yeah um yeah uh, he wasn't well served by the film because he was effectively in the Taron Egerton role and he did nothing but whinge. Harris Dickinson. Yes. Harris Dickinson was I born. Can, I, I well, I would say I'd like to see him in the role, but I'd, I'd like to see a screen test. You'd you have to I mean? see a screen test because he doesn't screen right. He's born in 1996, so he'd be he'd be cut. That sounds ridiculous, but he'd be sort of Lazenby age when he when the next film comes out. Yeah. Or close to. But I don't think we're going to get a film for a while anyway. Yeah, but I I, I'm, be... I'm working on to, to 2025, yeah. 2026. On that basis, he would be 29, 30 when it comes out. Um, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have too many strong opinions, but all I'm aware of is, A, half the people people talk about are too old already, even if they were yeah. right. Even if you thought Idris Elbis, Elba was perfect, he's too old. If you thought Tom Hardy was perfect, and I don't think he is, he's too old. And I just think it goes on like that. And a lot of the people that had Craig gone after Spectre might have been in with a shout, like Hiddleston, Dan, whatever he's called from The Guest. Um, what's Dan's name from The Guest? Dan, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. Um, they're going to start pushing too old in a minute, because if we were looking at a 2019 release mm. for the first run and a new actor's you know, a new Bond actor's run. So the original date for No Time to Die pre-pandemic, pre-Danny um, Boyle dropping out, we, we'd have been 2019. If you assumed that had been a new Bond, Dan Stevens would have been 37, Henry Cavill would have been 36, as would Chris Hemsworth, uh, Tom Hardy would have been f- about 40, 41. Even, um, I think I think even that's pushing it, but Fastbender would have been 41, 42. So you 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 you're pushing it, but it's still possible. If you're going at the middle of this decade, most of those guys are too old. And if you turn around and give the example, you always give these people who say, well, Roger Moore. Roger Moore was too old, sorry. But even so, his films are coming out more often. If you're going to do a film every three years, you don't want to cast someone at 46 for their first go-round. Yeah. I always said I always said it would be an 80s child. As time's going by, it's getting ever likelier it's going to be a 90s child. Hmm. Which I think it's going to be a while yet. Cause but we'll think, see. Yeah. But we'll see. Anyway, um, so Clive Warren uh, did get his role <laughs> as a spy in this. Nope. One. So yeah, what, yeah, oh yeah. Why are you obsessed with him? Well, he, 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 he made the lesbian sci-fi film of the year in 2005. You got it on the brain. Uh, 
That's why you can do last night because you were watching it. Well, the only other thing I actually wanted, the only actually thing I want to say about the only other thing I want to say about the casting of this film is Frank and Patent. If no, if anyone listening hasn't seen it, another (laughs) film that you should really check out is Run Lola Run. Run Lola Run is really really good. Yes, um, because I mean I'm not familiar. I said she's not been in much. she, I, I get a mix. I get a mixed up with Asia Argento because I was going to say wasn't she in Triple X, but that was Asia Argento. Yeah, because she was in Run Laura Run, and then she was in this as part of, like you know, and, and a bit in the next film, which we'll get to next time. Um, but I don't think I haven't seen her in, in much else. But that's not to say that she's not been in stuff. It's just that it's just she's just been in stuff that I've just not aware of or seen. You know what I mean? It's. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen her around, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but she's she's really good, uh, particularly in this as well. I mean, um, she she comes up as as a very sounds very sort of damning fake phrase, like very natural. But it's it, it but it does it, she comes as she's as someone who would you would generally find on the street somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we don't mean in the prostitute sense. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say, again, you can't say exactly because what would the budget have bought you, but this is the sort of film you just could have put a starlet of the time in, yeah. you know, this is around the time sort of Jennifer Garner hit it big, yeah. or J-Lo, you could have put, maybe they would have been too big for this, I don't know. But but, but I, I think she generally, I mean, I, I was thinking she generally could have been a Bond girl as well, I mean, she generally could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she was she was about 28 when this was released, 27, 28. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. But then you know, if it had been around this time, she'd have been in Die Another Day, and she did get the better film. Uh, I have seen her in Che, the um, Che Guevara film with uh, Benicio mm. del Toro. I've seen both. I've seen the first couple of Conjuring films, so presumably I saw her in that, but I don't remember it. I'm not a huge fan mm. of those films anyway. Uh, Run Lola Run is absolutely outstanding though. It really is. It's just it's just it's just a replaying I don't know what it is, thirty minutes of, of things with it's it's the same sequence three times with a difference each time and it changes what happens. And it's her oh, it is her. Episode, I'd like it again, there's a reason. Um yeah. I keep coming back to it. But yeah, no, I, I couldn't also throw my hat in the ring and recommend that film. It's really worth checking out. Um but yeah, there's also there's also a Simpsons episode of things like um, Day in the Life of Springfield, something like that, where where um, Lingua is created. It's like the same story from about three or four different perspectives. So, but yeah, I can highly recommend both. Well, she's written books as well. Anyway, so Chris, your first thoughts on this film, and then we best get through like talking about <laughs> it sequentially for five minutes before we sign off. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I I, I saw it at the cinema. Uh, so I mean, I'm I, I, it, it, I've always felt about about it. It it. It's a it, it's a it's a series that I like but never love. I never take into it as as much as everything, uh, everything else. And it's not because I can see anything objectively wrong with it, especially the the this one. I think I'd kind of take to um, the 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 green grass ones more more so. Probably just because they just feel. It, I I think they they find the stride. You know, his kind of style suits it this a bit more this one's a bit more like a bit more reserved because um uh what's the what's this director's name i've got his name 
Doug Lyman, yeah. Mm. He's a bit more... Um, it doesn't quite seem it. I mean, it's a bit more reserved it, but he's a bit more like your blockbuster type. You know, he's more of your Main Street type style. Um, whereas, like, the, the Bourne franchise is more associated with the Shaky Cam, which is, was made by Greengrass. Mm. Here, it's just a bit more bit more reserved the, the the action in here is a bit more um it it's more about style um yeah. and like sort of and more tactical so it's like stuff like it's it, it feels like obviously they've taken note of how trained people would really fight and and trying to come up with interesting things to, to do with that so when i think of this i always think of like the biro so it's, it's always it's always the, the one that if I think of the Bourne identity, I always think of like the bit where he just fights a guy with a biro and yeah, just yeah. like stabs him in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> That's my biro. Oh, yeah. John Wick's uh, really taken that on, hasn't it? Yeah. They use yeah, anything. Yeah, they yeah, use anything to hand. See, it's kind of always born infused as John Wick series. Yeah. But um, but 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 then again, it's like that. The, there's things in this, especially at the end, where he he kicks a guy off, like. He decides, like, right, to get out of the situation, there's a guy coming up with a machine gun, going up this spiral stairs. I'm going to kick this uh, this this other guy, and I'm going to free fall with me on top of him, and then shoot him as I'm walking. You know, I just think, no, no, I mean, that's very fanciful. Like, you know, that, that's very fanatical. That's not like... The other yeah, thing is when he lands, I that, don't know if I don't know if it's a doll or a CG bit or something, but it's just, the way he lands, even with that landing on that guy, it just looks like he shatters every fucking bone in his body. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's really. Oh, you really feel I it. I mean, it feels like. I mean, you. I don't think you would get that in a green grass, uh, born. I don't think we do see anything like that. No. Um, but yeah, there it just feels like a bit more like a. I mean, a I, I think I liked the self-contained nature of this story. But actually, when I think about the series, it's Greengrass's series, and I think a lot of that is two and three do run together. They could almost be mm. one film. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. So connected. that, whilst my perception going in, which is due for challenge, because I've not seen the Bourne films in quite a long time until sort of tonight, I suppose, and in prep for this, uh, my perception was always as a one-off film. I actually prefer the first. I like. I enjoyed the first. I always remember enjoying the first one more. But there's something to be said for like two and three together. Mm. You know, obviously that's not one injury, it's cheating a bit. Um, But definitely Greengrass is linked to the series in as much as had they said, for example, in 2016, Matt Damon is coming back to make a Bourne film and Doug Lyman from the original film is coming back. I probably wouldn't have been as excited as I was the end result we'll talk about in a few weeks but I was really excited because I thought they're coming back nine years later and it's both Greengrass and him they must have something they want to they must Mm -hmm. have a great idea as I say we'll talk later about whether they actually did but this is this became Greengrass's series without doubt it really yeah. did, yeah. I mean, when you think of Bourne, you do think of the shaky cam, um, unfortunately. But that, you know, that is green grass all over. That's kind of like one of his signature moves. Yeah. But but again, that that was, you know, I mean, there might be various different reasons why that became a thing, uh, because because it's green grass is obviously that's his kind of style, and only he can pull it off. Oh, when of course. Other, when other people try and do it, it's just like well. It's just a pale imitation. But, they but don't know they're, they're, why they're doing it. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's also helps in because they when they get these actors um, doing these action roles, they they kind of like it means they can cut corners with the action. So well, we don't really show you the 
the bit details, but we're going to yeah. make it look a bit ambiguous. You need to remind me about that from the concept of cars when we get to the third film and car chases, because there's a point that that's really relevant there. Um, I think what I'd say is, having watched Supremacy tonight, or mo- like I say, most of it, well, I didn't get to finish it. Um, the shaky ca- shaky cam is noticeable, particularly on the car chase, actually. But it's nowhere near as bad as you remember, because what you remember is actually the imitators, the parodies and the mm-hmm. worst examples. It's a bit like slow-mo in films. There's probably films we can think of with slow-mo in it that are good films, but you're, you're remembering W.S. Anderson and stuff, doing it really over the top and stuff. And I think um, it's the same with Shaky Cam. I always think of Quantum of Solace, which is a film I, I really don't dislike, but they sort of just shook the camera around and you're like why are you doing that you don't even know why and it was covering up cuts that don't make sense and edits that that don't flow and when you actually watch the Bourne supremacy greengrass's use of it is nowhere near as bad as you remember nowhere near no no yeah because because he, he he's got the knack for it it's, it's his thing it's just like well and that's part of, and it goes like what I said with um, but it, it with, became with, obnoxious after a while didn't yeah, it it was just every it, bloody film it, 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 it kind of goes what I said about with, with Bond it's like don't try and imitate something something that's already been done like the moment Greengrass has done it only Greengrass can do it it's his stamp. Well, it's a bit like we had Black Hawk Down, and for the next three or four, and Saving Private Ryan, and for the next three or four years, all these bloody films were like desaturated to hell, like two thirds of the colour taken out. Yeah, that was a big trend. And, and then after that, you just got every time there was an action sequence, this, they would talk about the immediacy it gives, and it was like hack directors who had no idea why they were doing it. And it is cinematographer. It isn't really the cinematographer because. The cinematographer on this film is the same as on the Green Cross films. It's the same guy. It's the director's vision that that actually dictated all of that. Yeah. Let's go into it sequentially because we've like done an hour. <laughs> um, I guess, it, funnily enough, the plot's actually reasonably slight, but not in a bad way. Um, he's basically fished out of the water with a couple of bullet wounds in him mm. by like fishermen. I think it's near Italy. And they fix him up, and he has absolutely no idea who he is. But he, he, he is aware that he speaks several languages. And they found something under his hip that gives the number of a safe deposit box. And that's quite similar to like the original film, isn't it? The original book. Yes, that is, that, is, that is the same. He was fished out of the water, and the, you know, this is who... And even things like the Kane character, the, you know, the pseudonym, there is a Kane Yeah, in the all book. the different names. Different spelling, but I it's think it's spelled slightly differently, but yeah. it's pronounced the same. Yeah. Um, so, where do we go from there? We go... He goes aboard, and he, the first thing he's got to do is go to basically Zurich, isn't it? Hmm. He goes to this safe deposit box and finds a ton of passports in there. And, the, and you know, in the kind of box, it's got on the on the top layer, it kind of got passports and money and all the rest of it. And then underneath, there's literally a whole another layer, which is kind of like almost like on the on the top layer is kind of like who who he is. And then underneath is kind of like his his memory of him being trained by Treadstone and CIA and all the rest of it. All so the same. I think that's, that's quite interesting. All the different passports have the same date of birth, 21st of August 1969, which is just over a year older than actual Matt Damon. Matt Damon's like October okay, 17th. I never spotted that, actually. Yeah, they've all got the same date. I noticed it today. Um, In fact. Yeah, Matt Damon's like October the following year, but yeah, similar sort of age. So at the time of release, you're talking about, an, you know, the character's about 32. Um so he goes to Switzerland to find the sort of bank 
that this sort of deposit box goes to. If you can't trust the Swiss banker, where's the world coming to? <laughs> yeah. But while, while he's and that's wrong film, but I watched it recently. He's he's waiting. Uh, while he's waiting, I know it was on not very long ago. Um, he, yeah, he finds he's like staggeringly good at fighting when the police come over to talk to him. Yeah, so the police like sort of just do their daily duty, tell them to like move on, can't sleep here, and he just beats the crap out of them. Yeah, but it's almost like <laughs> it, the way Damon acts it, it's almost like he's being remote controlled by somebody else. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like I, I, yeah. I, I'm almost not in control of what I'm doing here because his training has just kicked in. Yeah, but it's, it's very much like instinct, isn't it? It's like, oh, right, well, um, I'll just... Yeah, so he's he's on autopilot. It's just like it, it, so it's almost like when most people just like flinch on on, on something. Here he just you know casually just kicks the shit out of the two yeah. guys. Uh, he zooms the identity of the passport on the top, which is Jason Bourne, which ironically tends to be that it, although it's not his real name, we'll come to that later on. Mm. It is the name he's known as in his job, if you like, mm. um, and. Yeah, he's, but it, where does he go then? He goes to the U.S. consulate, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So because he, uh, he's being chased by police, they've notified the mm. CIA. Um, and Operation Treadstone know about it. This is Chris Cooper, his boss. What yeah. do I know, Chris Cooper? What do we know, Chris Cooper from? He was uh, Harry. He was Norman Osborn in the Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man films. He was the trainer in Sea Biscuit. He was. Um, he was the next door neighbour in American Beauty, the closeted gay man. What else has Chris Cooper been in? Loads of stuff. Uh, he's won an Oscar for adaptation. Yes, yes, that was a good film. Yeah, forgot adaptation. I kind of feel the impression that, like, in, in this sort of role, he's kind of become known for these kind of like grizzled sort of type roles or CIA type roles, and you know, obviously he's got a very diverse career. I think, like with many different actors and directors, but I kind of feel like in recent times he's mm. become a bit pigeonholed into these sort of roles. Yeah, it's funny because uh, when we get into a later film, David Strathern will come along, and I always think of David David Strathern as a posher Chris Coop, Cooper. Yeah, it's kind of uh, there's similarities. A little bit more kind of like upgraded. Like yeah, that. absolutely. Um, so he gets again, in... also isn't that kind of known for these kind of like suited type roles, you know? Yeah. So um, to cut sort of a long story short, because there's a lot of action in all of this, he's in the U.S. consulate, which obviously insulates him from the local police because it's sovereign mm. territory. So. Um, but he's accosted by sort of the officials there and he manages to sort of get out is this where he gets out through the sort of walking along sort of the um outside of the building up up on the ledge yeah so i think he kind of sees um uh is it uh what, what's her name uh marie, marie. yeah, yeah. Uh, she's yeah she's like trying to uh, what is she doing? What is she trying? To, she, she's having issues there anyway. She's having issues there as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he um, he he get he kind of gets like made and, and and does like a an escape job. Um, he he um, and, and and again, this is like um, we, we talk about the fighting, but it's not just that. It's also the resourcefulness of just like staying calm, like taking off like the like picket, like just ripping off a map and just walking past people as as they're like running to the exits, probably knowing that this is the guy that that, that that's like supposed to be dangerous, and he's just like, well, okay, I'm just like calmly getting on. Um, There's an economy of movement. We we yeah. often talk about that with Daniel Craig's Bond. I don't know if that's influenced by this, but but then having said that, we noticed it in sort of Thunderball with um, 
you know, the casual elbowing of the um, fire alarm and stuff. So yeah. it's always existed in cinema, but it's it is this era of action leading men. Yeah. Um, he offers her twenty thousand dollars to take it to Paris for the address on the board passport. I, my address is not on my passport, but there you go. Maybe it is on American ones. Um, he rings the apartment, I think, and the apartment's voicemail is his voice. Mm-hmm. So he clearly has a place in sort of Paris. Um, at the same time, you've got Conklin, which is Chris Cooper's character, and his boss is uh, Abbott, Brian Cox. Yeah. Not that one. Uh, that one. Well, I would say that one, but not that one. <laughs> not Professor Brian Cox, no. but... No, but, but the actors... No, the first one to mind for me is always the actor. So, yes, he is that one, not the other one. <laughs> not Professor Brian Cox, yeah. no? Not... Yeah, not yeah, not the smug scientist who like yeah pretends everything's to be, amazing. Yeah, pretends to be smart than he really is. Um, well, he is a pro- he is a professor. He's probably fairly funny, smart. Yeah, he's, he's doctor. It's, it's not like he works in McDonald's and he just tries to blag it. I mean, that that did sound really dismissive. It but, did. but but <laughs> but what I mean is, obviously he's smarter than me. But let's face it, he's not Stephen Hawking, there, is he? Uh, well, no. He's... I'm sure you are probably smarter than him. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, Stephen Hawking. And, 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 and to be fair, he's. Yeah, I think at times he's not as. He comes off as not as smart as he really is. Um, but uh, anyway, um, so. So what it turns out, we get a bit of backstory. Our first bit of backstory, really. CIA headquarters, because it is Langley. We see from the outside it's Langley. Uh, see, the thing is, they bandy a word round words like Treadstone and Brackbriar so often that you sort of almost think that's the headline organisation. Yeah. It's not. It's the I mission. Mean, they're CIA. Yeah, Blackbriar is kind of like the is, next one. Is, is kind of like said it, like it's as a follow a, up, isn't it? Really, it's as the next. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was, yeah. It always sounds like it's like it could be anything, but then it's you, we find out. Same with Treadstone, later. yeah. But yeah. it's Treadstone at this stage. Um, basically, mm. Bourne had been sent to assassinate an African dictator an exiled one Wombosi he's called I, I think I mm. went with Mombasi or something like that but Wombosi um, and he didn't succeed we don't know the details around him not succeeding um, but because he didn't succeed uh, he woke up has, on an Italian fishing boat instead yeah mm. now Conklin has sent people to kill Bourne now that seems a bit harsh I don't know if that's because he's led in that he hasn't killed him they'd be able to sort of identify him and then that links him to the CIA. I think that's it. So Bourne is now basically needing to be wiped out, but he doesn't know who he is, so they're trying to kill someone who's no threat to them. It's um, it's basically sort of clean, cleaning up, like they don't know what, what's going on. Um, so they, like, Well, well it does to... turn out Wombosi has actually seen him hmm. because Wombosi goes to see, because one of the aliases that he had was uh, Kane, John Michael Kane. And mm. he was supposedly killed, because he calls this hotel, he was supposedly killed a couple of weeks ago. So, from that, he's inferred that he did that under that alias. So, but Wombosi goes to the morgue and actually sees the body that Conklin has put there as supposedly Kane, so that hopefully he would think, well, he's dead. And it's not him. He knows it's not him. So it's absolutely mm. vital that they... Um, yeah, the, the, so there's there's various people after him. Uh, the where's the first one ambush him? I can't remember when the fir, where the first one is. Is the first one at his house with the pen? 
Yeah, what the what the the other agent? Yeah, that's 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 the first of all. We get like we see we see three of them. One of them is um, Clive Warren. Right. Um, no, so no, basically, <laughs> he's been driven back to Paris. He's in his apartment in Paris. Marie's mm. there as well. Yeah. She doesn't have a lot going on in her life, it seems. Um, she's lived around a lot of different places as well. So mm. she's a bit nomadic. So she's just sort of going along with this. No hint of romance at this stage. I think she's wary of him, but kind of vaguely believes he's no danger until what happens here, really. When she sees how effective he is here and how cold he is with it, mm. um, I think she starts rethinking it. He's ab- ambushed by Castell. And there's a, basically a fight in an apartment which basically ends with the pen. Yeah. And it really um, freaks her out. And it turns out when they search him, they've got photos from CCTV footage of her and Bourne. So she really panics. It's like, well, they know who I am now. Funnily <laughs> enough, one of his pictures is from Goodwill Hunting. There are various um, <laughs> mug shots, and one of them was used in Goodwill Hunting. It, it just would have been great if just like just one of them somewhere would have been like off Team America. Yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> the, um, but the other thing I think that freaks her out is in, instead of like open himself up to interrogation, the guy who we think he's killed him, but he hasn't. He jumps, gets up, and jumps out the window. He jumps to yeah. his own death. He's that yeah. frightened of Bourne. He jumps to his death. Well, yeah, but I, I don't think it's in the case no, of being that's, frightened. No, that's how Marie um, yeah. reads it, sorry. Oh, yeah, could, could be. Yeah. Um, but, it, again, it's just like a programme thing. It's like, oh, well, it's like, you know, uh, don't be taken alive kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's almost the... Um, it's almost the... Uh, like the, cap- the cyanide. Cap- the, the yeah. cyanide capsule in the teeth, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, so they, they knew they have to get out of there soon. Because uh, obviously the you know the police are just outside now. Yeah, so they get out of there. Um, mm. I think he goes to try and find out from Wambosi what's happened because um, mm. he he doesn't he has no memory of this. Um, but the second asset is the professor uh, who actually kills Wambosi. So again, just cleaning up any links. Wambosi, yeah. if you can't get born, you need to get the original guy. Because one is going to one is going to be able to identify the other, and mm-hmm. basically, this, the Americans will have killed an exiled dictator, or the dictator will, yeah, or, or they he will implicate mm. them. Um. So where next? They go to. They can't fly anywhere because they're going to be found at. Um, they're going to be found if they try and get flights. So Marie knows like a stepbrother in the countryside somewhere mm. so they drive there and I think um, yeah, isn't it her ex-husband no it's, it's well, uh, no I don't think it is oh, okay, I, think, I think it's family I got a bit confused I was like oh, but never mind <laughs> I, mind you I did think there'd been some romance there I don't maybe know maybe it's not ex-husband oh well I don't know um, but the, the CIA are quite efficient because they just sit there and figure it out they're like mm. well this is all the places she's lived. This is how far they could get from there in that period of time. They can't fly, so there's a good mm. place to try. So they send Clive Warren <laughs> down to... Clive Owen. I keep forgetting. I know he's called Clive Owen, but like I, I more naturally it's say funnier. Clive Warren now, to be honest. It's funny. He goes there and he's like, I love that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the professor, as he's, as he's known, goes to try and kill them there mm-hmm. and fails. Um, and then what does he do? So Bourne kills him. 
And yeah, so he, and, and he mentions Treadstone. Yeah. Um, and he and says, then, how many are with you? And he's like, we work alone. And he basically identifies him as, yes, you were. We're both basically killers for them. Mm. And he uses the... He grabs the dead guy's cell phone and calls Conklin and arranges to meet him. But he says that if you bring anyone, it's off. And of course, because Bourne, his spawn skill set means he can spot all these people sort of supposedly mm. hiding. Um... And he eventually gets Conklin by gun, um, and he's he's like saying, "Well, what what on earth's happened? Who uh, who am I? Who's Treadstone? Are you Treadstone?" And he basically says, "You're a malfunctioning thirty million dollar asset." Ouch. And he says um, that he was supposed to kill Wombosi, and this triggers the full memory. Mm. Um, and he, he used one of his aliases to go in there, and he couldn't kill him because his children were covering yeah. him. Don't hurt my daddy. So he tried to, and this was on a yacht, he tried to leave the yacht, but he was shot twice as he did it, and that mm. was it. So he now knows that something fundamentally isn't just the amnesia, something fundamentally had changed in him before the amnesia. He, he couldn't kill a guy in front of his children. Yeah. And we actually come back to that a little bit of in sort of next week's film, the, the whole sort of trying to make amends to, to children mm. thing. Yeah, do you think this is like a, a like a way to um, make his character more sympathetic, though? Yes. Rather than like, um, because if, or do you think it would have been bolder? It would have been just like the idea of he got amnesia and it kind of woken like this sort of. I think um, I think we under, side to him. we understand he was a heavily trained and sort of effectively it's almost implied brainwashed agent anyway, mm. so. I think we we knew he killed fairly coldly. We know we know Daniel Craig's James Bond early in his run kills mm. fairly coldly, and it doesn't actually put us off them. Amnesia, as lazy as it can be in a plot device in some films, particularly when you've got to get rid of a mm. character for half an hour, like Spider-Man Three. Um, I think it is it is useful in like providing a complete character reset. In that, like that that was the old me. He, he could have been brutally killing, doing anything. But, but this version is not the same man. Uh, I don't think it matters, actually, and I'm not sure how it plays in the original book because the person he's, he was tracking was a different person anyway. Um, but he, I think where it fits in is, clearly, before the amnesia, Bourne was having second thoughts. It was a bit like, do you know what it made me think of? Kill Bill 1? Oh, no, yeah. actually, no, Kill Bill 2 where she's in a hotel room ready to go and do a hit on someone and she discovers she's pregnant and she completely loses her taste for like killing at all and yeah, I, she's got it, to protect little one. it's like that this moment has changed everything whether it gave him a flashback to his first mission his training mission which we'll find out next week i don't know but as soon as he has the remem- memory it's almost like he remembers he was quitting mm. and he says yeah, like, he decides he's got to get away yeah don't follow me um so that that's where he has the shootout after he sort of knocks Conklin out with the silly stunt you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, he escapes and Conklin's told to sort of uh, tells tells like his aide to sort of close everything down, and then he's basically Conklin himself is murdered on the street under orders from Brian Cox. Yes, that yeah. one. Um, <laughs> and Abbott yes. basically. 
uh, Abbott basically goes to the like Congress and says, "Oh, we've shut it down because you know it was too expensive." And here's a new program, Operation Blackbuyer, which is basically the same thing, but with none of the paperwork and audit trail. And then Bourne travels to, uh, well, I'm reading it here. It's Mykonos, but I knew it was Greece because it had the sort of white and blue. Um, I've got a point on that about next week's film, which I'll just quickly make now. Because if you hadn't seen The Born Identity immediately before you go into the second one, you might think they're in the same place because you, you just know they went somewhere hot. Mm. But in the second film, it takes up in Goa, India. So even though it looks like they're going to settle where she's got like this bar and scooter shop, actually, they're, they're constantly on the move after this. So they're yeah, always... They're, they're, hopping, aren't they? they're always looking over their shoulders. Um, which I think is a little bit... I think they were hedging their bets. This film could have been a one-and-done happy ending, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah, could, could have ended there, really. And that could have been like just, just the one you know, film on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's it, really. It's it's quite a, an efficient film. What surprised me is my memory of the films is that they're quite long. And I don't know what that was based on, because this is like an hour and 58, I think. Yeah, it's only like two minutes. And then I stuck on the Born Supremacy going, well, I know this one's longer, and it was an hour and 48. And it's like, what, what, why was I remembering these films much, much longer than they are? I don't know if, I don't know if that means the is third it, uh, one Is it one of those longer. series where they get longer as they go on? I don't, I don't know, I'm just so. going to look up the Born Ultimatum. The Born Ultimatum, yeah, is, under, the Born Ultimatum is under two hours. Jason Bourne is just over two hours and it'll be funny when we get to the Bourne legacy because it's almost like they couldn't be bothered making any more film the Bourne, the Bourne legacy just stops randomly <laughs> does it all of a sudden stop? You yeah it's just suddenly go well, here we go on to the next mission and oh okay music alright it's done uh, well final thoughts um, I'll go first I've said everything I want to say really I'll, I'll be interested I'll say more as the series goes on and we sort of look as the patchwork sort of off knits together because these films, Born Legacy aside, even though there's a link, and Jason Bourne to some degree because it's years later, but this is all a patchwork of the same story really. What we've got here is Act One, but they finished it in such a place that if they had to stop it here or this film bombed, you've got something relatively self-contained. But I think it wasn't, it didn't surprise us that they were still tracking him after this. Um, because mm. he knows too much. Um, even though he says he wanted to be left alone, it would only take... The irony is, they caused their own problem in the second film, because if they'd left him with Marie, he'd have been fine. I think the problem is, once they gave him nothing left to live for, he, he came back at them guns blazing. This film is about them being chased, him being chased. The films that follow is much more about him striking back. Um but it's a great start to the series. It stands up well. It hasn't dated too badly yet. Yeah, I know it's flip phones and older phones. Well, it may, may have predated flip phones, actually. I know the technology is a little bit primitive, but it, it still had telecommunications and satellites and everything we have now, just of a different yeah, standard. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a part of the age, isn't it? You know, even like now we'll we, we look at like, you know, these films that are coming out today in 10 years' time and think, oh, it's quite dated, you know, sort of. Well, instead of picking images of them off CCTV, it could have just been off you know people's camera phones or whatever but it's still telling the same story technology hasn't moved on so far that you would fundamentally tell the story much differently except in i think this may have been more true in the second film but he does stop at payphones quite a lot 
Uh, but yeah, even then, you wouldn't, well. you wouldn't want to be trapped. Very often, obviously, because of the advent of, of mobile um, phones and stuff like that, for example. Um, but so you still you can sort of map, as I mentioned, um, at one point. But we still see like sat nav and that sort of thing as well. Um, but the fashions are quite neutral. Um, the cars are like you get in a lot of Europe, a mixture of old and new anyway. So yeah, you've got a few crappy old Ladas, but you've also got sort of newer Mercs and stuff that still look okay now. It stops off at a BP garage. So the film is the film's dated very well. Um, the performances are great. I think it's easy now that you know he's done. He did like four of these films that you know, and and he's done other action films as well. Matt Damon. It's easy to look at it and go, well, and this is the kid from Goodwill Hunting, you know, who looked very young for his age. He was a sociopath or a psychopath in 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 the talented Mr. Ripley, but he wasn't an action star. And when he actually did it, I always remember the forty-year-old virgin where um, they were talking in front of the TVs where it was on, and uh, I think it's Paul Rudd says, "I always thought he was a bit of a Streisand, but he kicks ass in this," you know, and <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it, it's like, yeah, this this was surprisingly good. It had a, a very creditable cast. Uh, next week it's going to be added to with Joan Allen, who I think is one of the most underrated actresses of her generation. Yeah, she's anyway, fantastic. Uh, check out a 1999 or 2000 film called The Contender with Joan oh, Allen. Yeah, I've seen that. really it's good. a wonderful film. Her and Jeff Bridges. Uh, he nominates her for vice president, um, and she's put through a lot of media scrutiny about her younger behaviour, largely because she's a woman. It's quite a film about the sort of sexism, but it's very, very, very good. And she plays such a straight bat to everything. And obviously we've got David Strathairn to come and later on um, Alice Vikander and so on like that. This is a series yeah, no, that's yeah, no, consistently the, um, good people. Consistently good people doing consistently good work. What I would say is this film probably doesn't doesn't transcend the genre as much as I, th- I thought it does. In that the Bourne films as a whole, particularly the first three and the Greengrass two. So we always call it like it's almost the Greengrass trilogy, but it's not. He did do a trilogy in that he did three of them. But I mean the original three films um, as a tr- as a trilogy, if you like. They they transcend the genre. They define the decade, the post nine eleven decade. They brought back serious sort of spy films. They 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 had an effect on things like the Bond series. They probably had an effect on things like Taken, even though they were a lot more B movie. But you know the Euro oh. the European based action films. Um, also Salt, shaky cam. Salt. Also. Shaky Cam, although Shaky Cam was born out of NYPD Blue on telly, but certainly yes on the big screen. So I think these three films as a whole, if you sat down to watch them as a trilogy, be it in one go or over three nights, you're watching a defining part of 2000s cinema. And I think you're watching a defining act in sort of Matt Damon's career. Having said that, this film on its own isn't transcendence, but it, but it is superior, if you like. It's very good. I'll leave it there. Yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Um, yeah, I sort of really enjoyed this one when it came out. Um, but for me, I, th- I think I, I'm really sorry, but I'm sort of going to carry that through line between like sort of Bond and that all the way through. For example, for me, you can it does cast a long shadow. It's not like us um, to mention Bond. No, definitely not. No, <laughs> but no, I, I'm going to be the one to say that you know you can you can clearly see the influence of this film, you know, regardless. Hey, Fukunaga um, for Bond 26. What do we reckon? As well. Fukunaga for Bond 26, what do we reckon? I know, this is it, it's going to happen. Matt, Matt Damon for Bond, yeah. Matt Damon for Fuka, No, Fuka, no Fukunaga. His no, don't goes, mention him, don't uh, talk about him anymore. All right, then. Carry He's on. been cancelled. Carry them. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, note. <laughs> yeah that, that's it. Becca's had a say, that's it. He's... <laughs> hey, incest is fine if everyone's cool with it, apparently. <laughs> Carry on. But yeah, we just have to try and not... It's so difficult these days, like... 
he's trying to mention somebody and like the next day they're cancelled it's just like oh my god yeah, even really if, even you know, if they're not cancelled it is still like he, he came off so decent not... as well but there you go anyway sorry carry on back to this you were likening it to bond <laughs> no i was just saying it's you know I, I i kind of would argue that it does kind of cast a long shadow um but i'm more keen to talk about next week's film um obviously because we're we kind of getting into more obviously you know the, the reason this film was delayed was was 9-11 unfortunately uh, but I kind of think like the film goes on it does, it does kind of get more like especially it's going to sound really stupid but kind of like 2003, 4, 5 we did kind of see more of those certainly American films kind of deal with it and grapple with it a lot more and I do kind of feel like um, these sort of films could, did take a bit of time and that kind of it does start to come to the pots a little bit more as well I've got been sort of written on a home turf and that for example as well a lot more kind of like home invasion like body horror films started coming out around this sort of time as well um it's just kind of going to show how it, you know, sort of really does it, does it affect the American psyche for sure. Um, and I, I think, you know, seeing that from this film, obviously not so much because it was, it was directly after. Um, but sort of in the films that follow, it is kind of more, you know, it kind of diverts from that a little bit as well. Um, and again, we see more kind of obviously Bond coming into the ring as well. Um, Sooner World coming out in 2006. Um, and obviously the Mission Impossible films kind of really taking off. Um, um, I think it does kind of really. Um, I can't know what the word is, like a revival of that genre as well. Obviously, as, as we mentioned, we had we did see quite a few spy movies, obviously of Austin Powers, and, um, and the, even though they're not directly um, literary adaptations, um, we did start to see a lot a lot more of those kind of more adaptations coming through in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, um, especially over here as well. Um, and obviously with Clio. <laughs> um, and again, we kind of saw, like, the Spooks obviously become really popular over here in the UK, sort of mid, early mid-2000s, and those kind of shows as well. Um, which again kind of got more popular. So I kind of think certainly from from the second and third film, um, there's a bit of a dominant effect certainly within the spite and sort of thriller movie genre as well. Um, and I think had we not had that, perhaps we wouldn't have had Casino Royale. I, for me, I, I want these people to go, no, there is a through line. Um, and I'm sure there is a through line. You, know, you, you, you guys say, oh no, there isn't. That's why it was not as obvious. But for me, I'm sort of like, I yes, think, there is a through line. I think what I'd say is bizarrely, <laughs> it's a strange way to put it, but I think Bourne had more to do with what Daniel Craig's Bond looked like than he does with Pierce Brosnan's Bond ending. Oh, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. definitely. Exactly, well, the, the aesthetic is, is completely different, it's, you know, it's, it's completely different, and I think, I think had we not had that, I think the next one would have been more in the kind of, in the more the more era, the more of the um, Brosnan era definitely tried to combine all the elements of what had come before, really. If Die Another um, Day had got the same reviews as Tomorrow Never Dies, he'd have made a fifth film. Yeah, he, he would have carried on. They, they wouldn't have dropped him like a stone, um, and perhaps it would, we would have got. And they'd have waited. Like, they'd have waited three or four years longer more to do Casino Royale. It's simple as no, that. No, this is it. But I think I, 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 I we would have got Casino Royale. We certainly wouldn't I, have had the film that eventually we might have because they had the rights to, to do it. To, to no, eventually, but it wouldn't have looked like how it did look no, like in the end. No, it would probably look like the sixty, the sixty odd. To, to be honest, though, I think really in terms of when it comes to Brosnan, I think it was more a case of Bob had her eyes on um, Craig already by them yeah uh, so it, she, it was already going so on she, there, wasn't it? i mean i mean like you know obviously with dying of a day yeah and the action to maybe this film maybe they i i, I think relatively would it, you know had it not been for that they would have probably done kept stayed with Boston for one more and it would have been a bit more grounded yeah uh so you would it would have been like uh from being raked for your eyes yeah, only there's every chance yeah, they'd have tried to knock one out style. in 2004 and then maybe brought craig in 0708 maybe yeah 
Maybe. I mean, it may or, not have been Craig else, in that I scenario. Think, yeah, certainly, certainly also in terms of the action as well. Mm. Um, again, kind of what was kind of known for, this, for you know, certainly for the Spawn series is more kind of realistic, um, but a lot more in-camera special effects, sort of stunts. Um, like the stunt work around the, the the mini chase, for example, in this film is, is amazing. Um, but people talk about Casino Royale, though, Becca. But I, honestly, it makes me laugh because I can think of one person whose opinion I always respect who constantly goes on about Casino Royale, so like Bourne. But then he'll praise Quantum of Solace, which is so much more like Bourne, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's far more influence of Bourne on oh, Quantum well, yes, of Solace yes, than there is on... Of, in terms of the editing and yeah. sort of how it's shot. And how Although it the whole reboot and the grittier tone, yeah, there's Bourne, there's some Bourne in that, yes, but not as much as people might say. No, but I, I, still, I, I still think, you know, that for me there is definitely that through line, or certainly for Quantum as well, just in terms of, you know, the, the looks and everything and, and, and how it's shot and the editing style yeah. um, is, is a lot more phonetic, phonetic, but I do, I would kind of say that Quantum is probably more, we'll see that next week, obviously with Greengrass, I do think um, that's kind of oh, particularly ultimatum because really really. ultimatum has series in, as as in running across rooftops in hot countries. It might even be well, Tangier. Exactly. It's it's like, might where have be, we seen that before? Is it Tangier or something? But for that, read like Haiti or something. It well, looks exactly. so much like exactly. it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the same. It's the same. But I just say you know it's kind of just one of those things where it is there is a knock-on effect, but also not just in that film, but sort of other other kind of films of that genre as well. Yeah. And you get you know it does become a little bit like I think probably by the mid to late 2000s it is a bit of a trope um and it's sort of obviously this is kind of like where it all started really um and uh, you know again there's something else that we saw picked up in the mission impossible movies and um which is great because they all kind of you know it all goes back to the 60s and all kind of like those really sort of classic um spy thrillers obviously by fleming and, and his ilk um and it all comes back around it all kind of feeds into each other um which is really great to see um but again i think this is kind of where you know we're just starting to look at the um the explanation of it um, and I kind of see where it all comes from, really, which I think is really cool. Um, and certainly, you know, certainly with this film, um, even though it kind of more popularised like the, the, you know, the genre as well, and kind of really brought it into the modern day, um, which sounds really hackneyed, but <laughs> especially we've now moved on 20 plus years. Um, but as I, you know, as I said at the, at the top of the show, there's a lot of tropes in, in, in this film that perhaps you don't see today, and likewise, um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of tropes that that very much kind of got their start in, in this you know these in these sort of films really early kind of 2000 spy movies um which is really interesting i think so it's quite good to kind of, you know i'm quite glad that we're doing this series because we kind of you know we, we have all of us you know we enjoy a wide range of films and obviously we're all bond fans so we're all kind of into like spy thriller um and that sort of thing um, i don't think it was um you, you guys as well you're quite action you're quite up in your action movies yeah. as well you know especially chris um with his previous action movies junkie podcast that he used to do um so you know you're kind of really, really well versed, um, and you kind of you, you guys are more knowledgeable about sort of the you know the, the grammar and vocab of, of those sort of films, um, which again kind of feed into the genre as well. So I'm quite excited to you know to do this, so we can look at we can really unpick um, and look at all those elements definitely. Chris, final thoughts. Um, I don't think I've got much more to say really. Um, other other than yeah, this is this is probably a bench probably a benchmark film in terms of how. Um, action movies were perceived at at the time, um, but you know, yeah, yeah. Obviously, like post nine eleven, everything's probably a bit more cynical towards. Um, well, well, I would say I would say American movies probably a bit more cynical of their of their own governments rather than anyone else's. Uh, so it's the that's that sort of like par- paranoia kind of 
kind of things, you know, like the of, of like maybe like the seventies, uh, of like things like you know the conversation and things like that. Exactly. Uh, I think, I think you can even more things like they came out in the sixties, sort of like um, Nigerian candidate that we spoke about. Mm. That's why kind of films like that were kind of right for the right for the movie. You can, can trot the lineage of this right the way through to like the Winter Soldier. This can be yeah. the, the lineage of this well, exactly, goes from, exactly. from 9-11 onwards. You, you start getting a tone. Bear in mind, these films take a while to develop. So the Winter Soldier was probably in development before they realized how successful the MCU was, if you like. Yeah. And so in some respects, that was like that was a Marvel sort of version of a sort of grittier. That was film. Really kind of 70s and, it, and it was 70s like the 2000s were, were a little bit like the 70s redux, not necessarily in quality, but definitely. Sorry, yeah, I, I hijacked you there. Apologies. No, no, no. Well, I was, I was just going to make the point of um, you mentioned Manchurian Candidate, which of course was uh, remade around this sort of time as well. 2004, yeah. Well, yeah. it was, yeah, exactly. And it just just because I did it. And it's good. Well, the remake's good. Well out of it, but obviously I did it as my undergrad sort yeah. of thesis, and I was like, oh, okay, so that's some people yeah. this idea is. Whatever so, you think of remakes, the Manchurian Candidate remake is good. Yeah, no, for, for me, I think it's probably. I mean, the, the original film is an absolutely classic, um, but the remake is, is probably one of those. And um, it's kind of, if not as good, you know. <laughs> so let's let's hedge our bets and say at least as, at least right. as interesting. Yes. Yeah. So that's my bond connection. Yeah. And um, but the only thing um, I say is like I don't think I know too much about the show. Even though I've just talked about we we just talked about it for about I've, an hour I've, and a half. Well, I I think you, you just you don't know your born. That's <laughs> going in the trailer. Yeah. Um, me neither, Chris. Let's be honest. Um, but I do know that we, we regularly have a, what I like to think of uh, as a living resource. You know. On this. You know what? <laughs> they should have called it. If they called the film that. <laughs> you don't know you're born because <laughs> you don't know you're born. Or in fact, you, doesn't, it, it doesn't work quite as well with you only think you're born. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> Because as we'll find yeah, out next the first week, he's called that, and the second one's you don't think you know. Yeah. Anyway, so what, what do, you, third one, I don't know. do you know you're born? Yeah. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> you don't know you're born. Anyway. And of course, when when he's fighting around, it's always obviously waterborne. Can I just say, I, I found that far funnier than it actually was. Uh, Becca, no, we enjoyed that. Thank you. Educate us if you don't have uh, retrograde amnesia. No, I don't. Unfortunately, I can't speak all these languages. Um, and sadly, I'm not Jason Bourne. Um, yeah, fun facts. Um, kind of fun facts. Um, but yeah, just going through discussing it with Simon, he managed to pop up. Um, managed to pop up, really. He managed to um, glean some facts and knowledge. Um, throughout the film, um, Jason Bourne always kind of wears like dark sort of colours. Um, but he always kind of gets like the, those people that he's running with. Um, he always gets them to change their appearance, um, despite him being the one like who's who's hunted. So obviously Marie kind of cuts her hair, changes the colour. Um, yeah. Like David dyes his hair I, just a, a little bit and like wears a slightly darker jumper, and it's just like hold on a minute, you're the one who's on the run. I I thought that because like okay fine make makes sense for like her birth change her appearance, but what are you doing? Yeah, he does nothing. He just wears like a slightly darker jumper and dyes his head. What he should brown. do is the hair he cuts off her, he should glue on his head. He wear a moustache. Yeah. <laughs> a little beard or something like that. Um, colour also plays another important role. Um, apparently red is a, is the colour of anything that new that Bourne finds. So like the, the money bag that says like burn or something on it. 
um, in German that he grabs from uh, he grabs from the bank, um, Marie's mini, um, and then the car that they find. Uh, is it her ex-husband? I can't remember. Um, I only watched it last night. Um, of, of the, the the farm that they go to at the end of the, the jeep is red, um, and then they, obviously that money bag kind of popped up at the end um, at, at Marie's kind of Greek getaway um, in, in Mykonos. Um, it's it's it, she turned it into a plant pot, but it's, it's bright red and, and you can't really miss it. Um, other fun facts. Um, obviously, yeah, we mentioned uh, Run, Lily, Run. Um, highly recommend that film as well. Um, might have to go back and revisit because I think that's probably, this is really embarrassing, but it's probably one of the first European films that I saw um, quite young, quite quite early on. Um, so obviously, yeah, um, Doug Lyman obviously cast her after after seeing her in, um, in that film. Um, and again, obviously the fact that, that she was on the run um, and does so again in this film, um, they tried to kind of capture the feeling of, of that film for sure. Um, fun fact number three, um, Russell Crowe, Matthew McConaughey and Sylvester Stallone were all considered for the role of Bourne. Also, as I mentioned at the top so of the show. Sylvester yes, Stallone? I know. I wonder if they were going to do that when they, they decided to cast, not that he was old, but all like, see, a, you know, see, maybe I'm in the not, 40s or 50s, I don't know. I, I think if that ever was true, um, it, w- it would have been like, yeah, years like like mid, early nineties when yeah. they ba- they're bouncing around the film. They you know more they the might, a- the original age they, of the character they, from the book. They, 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 yeah. They, yeah, they might they might have like, like D- Doug Lyman's like, two thousand and two project. No, yeah, yeah. okay. They might yeah, float, not right now, might, but maybe early nineties. They might have floated around like as a possibility. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I might do that, and then just never came to anything because it was yeah. I I, I think. In those things, I think it's like we hear those titles. It's, it's like yeah. He's got or, such a strange nondescript look to him, yet charisma. I mean, go go and watch him in The Departed and stuff. He's incredibly charismatic in that mm. film. Oh god, yeah, no, he's so, really. So I mean, he's he's got it, but he's also got that kind of can wander through a crowd. I just think mm. like they they actually couldn't have cast this any better. For, and I'm no, not talking about cast. and I'm not talking about adapting the book. I'm talking about the character we got on screen is so well served by who's playing him. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. You can play that kind of blank slate, but not not in a bad way. But also, yeah, you know, he he can chant the birds out of the trees. He can he can be convincing. He can be manipulative. He can be you know. Well, all these in, in this film, it does. He's a lot more vulnerable than he is in the other films because obviously he's like literally going around like I have no idea what's going on. I don't I don't even know. No, but he, like, yeah, as you say, he, he can also pull off like you know he's he's tough. He can handle himself, um, but he can be vulnerable as well at the same time, and he can have a romance with a leading lady. You know, should he need to so. Just shows them off as being, yeah. you know, really versatile. That he can go from, from Ripley, uh, to this basically. So. Yeah. Though um, I can I can see Brad Pitt being offered it. He, he would have been all wrong for Ellen Ripley. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see him in the end of the film in those little panties. That wouldn't have worked. Imagine like Alien as an art dealer, art forger. Mm. That's a whole other film. Oh my god. I'd love to look at those films. Well, the, the film would end with the alien complaining he'd promised to marry it or something. It eats a cat or something. Yeah. It eats a ship's cat. Oh my gosh. All right. Any, I, would, I would quite like to do the, the Ripley films because I think they're all different. How the we're we're totally doing the alien films. As an alien film. Yeah, we haven't worked out the content of them yet because I don't know if we're including the alien predator films or anything like that or the prequels or whatever. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we will t- get to the alien a, a, sure. We will get to them one day. Definitely. They're on the list. Um, as are the biggest. Hannibal Lecter films and all that. Talking about Brian Cox. Um, so, not that yeah, one. Yeah. Not, no, that one. <laughs> so I've got two more fun facts. Okay, um, for a brief while, on. there's a TV spin-off, Treadstone, created by Tim Kring of Heroes fame. Um, I think cool. it was released over here in 2019, but it was cancelled. 
2020 after one series. Funnily enough, if Heroes had been captured after cancelled after one series, we'd still talk about how amazing it was. Well, it was. That was it. And then they tried to bring it back last year, the year before. Did they? Um, and that kind of died a death, I think, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and then my final fact, I can't. This one always confuses me whenever I read about it. Was it the first film to be out in the UK with a 12 base certificate? Or was that. Spider-Man. Yes, no. I can explain that one. Um, right. Sp- I think we've mentioned also this before. Yeah, no, I, I, can, I can explain it. Bear in mind, not to be confused with the 12. The 12 came out in 1989. Spider-Man was released uh, earlier in the summer with a 12 certificate, which meant a load of kids couldn't go and see it. Uh, and then you had the World Cup that year as well. And I think it ran into the World Cup as well. So it was that counter-programming where... Typically, those in the family not interested in football would go to that. Although, having said that, we were watching it at pubs at about six in the morning because it was Japan and South Korea. <laughs> it's really odd. I'd go into a pub at six in the morning and think, I can't drink now. So you'd have, you'd have a Coke, but half an hour later, all you'd smell is beer and you forget what time of the morning it is. So you would be drinking pints at 6.30 in the morning. Anyway, um, so anyway, uh, so there were complaints. Kids couldn't go and see it. They said, why are you not leaving it up to parents? We've seen Spider-Man. You know, we had a look at it. We don't consider it that bad. So Spider-Man later in the summer got a re-release with the 12A rather than the 12. Yeah. But I think obviously once they decided on that policy of it's effectively the same rate, same ratings, but let's make it advisory. Um I mean, the yeah, um, I mean, you still have to be with your, I think you have to be with your parents. So effectively, yeah, it's the 12 year old version of like R rated or something or PG 13 in that yeah. you have to PG-13 be there. PG 13 probably. PG 13, but you still have Parental to be guidance. There. I'm presuming you have to be there with parents for that one. And it's the same with this one. But prior to that, the 12 was a hard rating. If you, if you were 10 and they suspected you weren't 12 and they like, and you couldn't prove you were over 12, couldn't get in. But it, it changed around here. But the driver for it was was they Sony realised they were missing out on on good money for Spider-Man with people who hadn't been allowed to go with it, particularly where um, it was younger children. Where perhaps and this will almost sound sexist, but I'm just putting it out as an example. Dad wanted to watch the football. Mum wanted to take the kids to the cinema, and she couldn't take them to Spider-Man, or even the other way round. So, that's yeah. it but I think these days as my like the top PG or 12A certificate is so important you know you've got to get the many bums on seats yeah. um rarely you know unless it's like a horror or adult film um has, you know has an 18 certificate I mean it still obviously draws in audiences um also uh, post-pandemic um but nowadays like the 12A certainly here in the UK is is that you know is the one that, that you really want to get basically to try and get the maximum bums on seats bear in mind most of these things are um American driven so these films are made with the PG-13 rating in mind and that roughly maps to the 12A I say roughly because for example uh, Batman vs Superman the harder ultimate cut that was that was R rated (laughs) that sounds like even more boring it was a 12A yeah do you know what I mean? It, it's just like because you don't have anything between sort of 13 it's and. Longer, it's still 12. Well, we've got 12, 15, and 18. You've got 13 and 17, effectively. And uh, because there's nothing between the two, there are some films that kind of. They almost don't hit 15 here. So, like I say, that was a PG 13 film, yet it was the harder R cut there. Uh, there's no differences. The criteria don't line up, but bear in mind. Uh, people who are making Marvel films, Bond films, DC films, etc., with some exceptions, want a, tw- want a PG-13 rating. Yeah, you want, want that that wise, leads them wise to wise wanting there, the 12A here. Yeah. For more information, please don't 
please do go and listen to the BBFC podcast. Very interesting. Yeah. I don't know what they sit and talk about. Are they like, oh yeah, I gave that a 15. Why? Saw some tits. <laughs> Saw some tits. They do talk about it, what about this one? You can see a bit of muff. So you know what? If if they actually did that, that would be worth listening. I would listen to that. If so, if if someone was going, hey, 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 we've given that an eighteen this week. I tell you what, it's loads of muffs in it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I saw um, I saw I I, I saw for review for set the tape the other day. I watched Enter the Void. Have you seen that? Tell us about it. Well, no, but that 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 that's BBFC. Uh, worthy. I'd listen to a podcast describing what goes on in that film. Anyway, well, the, the rock climbing to... film. No, enter. That's uh, touching the void. Oh, touching the void. Okay. Enter. <laughs> enter the void is past Dill or Herta. Yes, that's. Uh, the... Oh no, I see. know which one you mean. Yes, yes, yes. It's um Gaspar Noe. Yes, that's the one. Yep. Oh my gosh. Take him on for the team. Well, she takes a couple. For the team. All right. Yeah, I know. I know which one you're on about now. So. All right. Um. I have to say, after so many weeks, that really was fun, folks. I did have other facts that weren't as fun, but I omitted them for one. Because that were it's more fun, fun facts, and you've got standards. It was. Also, it's very sad to say that sadly, Robert Upton did pass away whilst this film was in post-production in 2001. Is it so that long ago? Fact. You don't want to hear it. It's not fun. Oh, well, I remember him dying. I just don't link it to when this film was released. Okay. No, I thought it was like late 90s, early 2000s, but yeah, sadly. Obviously, but he, he's still credited as um, executive producer. So, okay. as for social media, you can find me at the Pastor Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me at Cinetronics. You can find all the old episodes at Cinetronics.co.uk, which will be linked on Podbean. Although I have looked on Spotify and I can't see all our episodes, but we will check that. Uh, yes, I will check that as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook. Do you expect us to talk on Twitter at expect us to talk uh, YouTube under the same moniker if you want to email us. You can email us if you want to. But yes, you should hopefully find most of our episodes um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay. Those emails do get results because uh, Chris was asked if he wanted a larger penis some years ago and he got ma- <laughs> and he got and he got married a month ago. So well, these things do work, you know. They w- they work. <laughs> Yeah. It works so well. She's, in fact, it works so well. She's not living in the same city as him. He, he, <laughs> he's like a pink M1 now. He's, he's got a stand-up boss. He does it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Puts the end in and starts walking to water. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's a different podcast altogether. So, so, I tell you what, the, the M56 gets uh, blocked up every time I do. <laughs> so, uh, in a different sense of the word doing, what are we doing next, Becca? <laughs> yeah, not doing that. <laughs> so yes, do you expect to talk will return with our view of the Bourne supremacy? <laughs>